from the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. McDavid left goal line, walks in front, he scored! Found an opening in Brossois, short post. Connor McDavid, the power play goal. Took just seven seconds. Second goal of the day from McDavid. The Oilers' third power play goal on their fifth chance. They lead the game 5-0 at 8.17 remaining, second period. It's time for Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. It is Cofield and Company on this Monday. Start of the week, a big week, of course, for BGK. Now we know, big week for the NFL as well. We'll get into all of that and so much more. Of course, this is not Steve Cofield. Adam Hill and Willie Ramirez here along with you. Cofield's missing. We have no idea where he is. That's our running bit whenever he's not here, but he's out for the week. So good luck for the next five days for these three hours with us just creating chaos and ruining everything Steve has built for the last two decades in Las Vegas broadcasting, as I said, Adam Hill, Willie Ramirez, Ari, along as always. Willie, how are you, sir? Happiest person in the building for the next five days, Ari, of course. Well, we can yell at him. Well, we yeah, it does, but to see, the difference is, is that Ari doesn't take a lot of our stuff personal. So he he might he might relish in that a little bit. He might might feel a little more loved. You're also like the third person who's uh, said that to me today. Yeah. Oh, you're having a great week. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the soul crusher is so, not around. So, Adam, are you fully functional? Are you awake? Are you mentally with us? Are you no. tired? Where are we at? Uh, barely existing, I think is the fair way to put it. It was quite a weekend. Uh, get into some of what went on this weekend, I guess, uh, as we go throughout the show. I'll say that uh, I... Made a really dumb decision late in the week last week to agree to go on a, on a day trip yesterday, uh, head down to Phoenix, get uh, – the, the itinerary was you know 6 a.m. flight, brunch, baseball, then basketball, then fly home. And this was after covering we – well, we were all at the Golden Knights game. That was the problem. Saturday. Now, the original plan was Friday Golden Knights, Saturday Lovers and Friends, which was – Best concert of the year, and I'm so upset I wasn't there. And then Sunday, the trip it got altered, of course, because the Golden Knights moved to Saturday, so there was no concert. So I was like, okay, well, the Golden Knights are early, so it'll be fine. 6 a.m. flight, no problem. I should be home by 9, 10. No problem. But, of course, it was also fight night Saturday, so it went Golden Knights game, Canelo fight, UFC, and then it turned into game night with a bunch of friends, which uh, was insane with a lot of crazy uh, Wii games and <laughs> and uh, silliness that went on. And at some point, I was at the party, and I looked, and I said, oh, it's 2.45. My flight's at 6. I better try to get home. <laughs> so I went home, slept for about 45 minutes. Jumped on a flight. We probably didn't stop drinking the entire day in Phoenix, and then got on a flight home. And uh, yeah, it was it was quite a spectacle, I would say. Probably a bad idea, but Phoenix was cool, easy trip. Obviously, 
got to go to Chase Field, which felt a little different than usual this time, and we'll get into that later on in the show. But it was going to a baseball game, not just as a spectator, but as a hmm, what of what of this could we take back to, to have in Las Vegas and yeah. be part of Las Vegas becoming uh, a major league ballpark. I know at one point. Uh, one of my friends that was there was like, well, this would be kind of a perfect model. Like, this is a great setup, a great stadium. It'll look almost exactly like this. And I said, well, I think it'll be better. But at the same time, Chase Field seats almost 50,000. And we're talking about, you know, 30, 30 to 35 for baseball here in Vegas. So I think it'll be very different. I think the seats will be it'll be much more intimate environment. Seats will be closer, all those things. Uh, but, yeah, there's, I think, a lot of good to take away from it. A lot of, uh, you know, businesses in the area and the way that they set it up there which would be a little bit different, but not too much different, is that the baseball stadium and the basketball arena are so close to each other you can walk. In fact, we did walk uh, between games uh, just to some you know other bars in, in, you know, in that little two-block area as you walk over, and there's sports books in both of those, which is very interesting as well. Uh, but a lot, a lot of that uh, that we can kind of borrow from and take from, and it'll be similar, although the football stadium, in this case, not the basketball arena, and it's not the it wouldn't be the most ideal walk until there's a lot more things built in, in there. But a cool setup, nice little downtown area. Looking forward to that. The football stadium you're talking about here. Yeah, I'm saying there. It's, yeah. there it's baseball to basketball. Right. Yeah, yeah. Here it would be baseball to football. But the areas and, and the areas hockey. are a little different. And hockey across the way, right? And and that's the other. That'd be across the strip, which I think they're also going to try to tie into one little area. So yeah, a little uh, an, a, a re, an arena district, a sports district, if you will, which is a cool concept. Again, I I think that there's a lot of uh, a lot of differences. I think there's a lot of things that could be better potentially if we do this deal, but um, a lot of a lot of steps, I guess, along the way between now and then. But um, it was, I will say, it was different going to a baseball game and saying, okay, you're not just here to watch a baseball game. You're here to look at a baseball game and say, okay, what. What is good? What is bad about this? What can we take from it? And by the way, also did not was not lost on me. And I understand that the Suns were playing later in the day and everything else, but wasn't lost on me that there was only I think they announced nineteen. I would say there was about fourteen there. So you know, it's not a slam dunk that you're going to sell out baseball games every day. And it was noticeably empty yesterday at Chase Field. And that's an established team. That's a team that. You know, first place. They have some excitement around them. Um, they've been around for a while, but um, you know, it's not. You know, you don't have this guarantee. And I know Phoenix is a different market too than Vegas. We don't have this guarantee that you're going to sell out every game either. So, uh, very noticeable that there was a lot of empty seats there at Chase Field yesterday. There was not a lot of empty seats three blocks away at Footprint Arena, home of the sports book. I was going to. I was going to plug the the people that own the sports book but I won't uh, in this case because uh, there's a sports book at every venue in Phoenix which is wildly different than uh, you can ever imagine you know, in years past how arenas would be set up and uh, we get into the game and what happened a little bit later on but the big story coming out especially recently in the last few minutes Nikola Jokic will not be suspended uh, I know you just got a chance to look at the little shove it was the Suns owner down in the corner, the new owner, uh, Ishbia. He was he was holding onto the ball. He tried to keep it from Jokic when he when Jokic wanted the ball back when there was a little dust up in the stands, and Jokic not only grabbed the ball away but then gave him a little bit of a shove. Now there was certainly some acting, uh, but there was a shove. It was a noticeable shove, and he will not be suspended. I didn't even think he should get a technical. 
No, here's the thing that I the first thing I noticed is that the shove it was very nonchalant. Like I'm sure he knew what he was doing, but he was looking in the opposite direction. And like you said, like he he went for the ball, the ball went scrambling and he sort of was looking past and gave the shove. There was definitely a flop. It was definitely a big flop. When it was a Instead, if you get if you get shoved, if you want to keep your footing, there's a way to kind of catch your balance. He instead did the I'm just going to keep my hand straight in the air, like draw a charge, and not even try to keep my footing. Just like whoa, look what happened here! Like don't don't do that. Right. And and to his credit, I will say, came out today and said I do not want him suspended. I hope he does not get suspended for that. And look, don't. Yank the ball away. Don't hold the ball if you're a fan. And I know in this case he's not a fan. He's an owner, but he's in the fan. He's in the stand with the fans. Don't try to yank the ball away from a player. Like let's let's be honest here. I understand there's a lot of people out Stay there out saying, the game. "Hey, don't shove a fan if you're a player. Don't become a player. Don't get right. in the game. Don't grab the ball. Right. Give it up." And that's you know sometimes in the the mindset of an owner, they you know I don't I can't speak for him, but that sort of in the heat of emotion, right in the middle of the game, you sort of get involved, and and you your, your mind, so you you escape yourself for a moment, and then all of a sudden you feel like you're a part of it because of who you are, and you can't do that. Yeah. So instead, he's fined twenty five thousand dollars for in the NBA do, uh, per the NBA communications for making improper contact with a spectator sitting courtside. Um, that was announced by Joe Dumars. Uh, Phoenix Suns Governor Matt Ishbia. I, w- I would like to know what Ishbia's penalty is for grabbing the ball away. Yeah, because there should be one. Um, as as we described, uh, the statement goes on to say, came into possession of the game ball when it bounced into his hands following a play near his seat, and Jokic played contact with Ishbia in an attempt to take the game ball away. And immediately after, when the ball flew further back into the crowd. The incident for which Jokic received a technical foul occurred, blah, 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 when it did. And that was basically it. Um, so that's that's the statement itself. And essentially it's, it's making contact. But like you said, good, I mean, the owner comes out. And I think he comes out and say that because I, I think that he know. well, I would have to imagine that if he's suspended, it's going to the, – the, the fire and the heat that's going to come back on him – for the flop itself, but just more so, be there. It's going to be like, well, it was because it was the Suns, you know. So yeah, it was silly, and and look, don't don't get involved in the game if you don't want to be pushed. And then to the point of like, hey, I understand if you have the ball and all of a sudden you're kind of in the heat of the battle and like trying to yank it away, okay. But he had enough presence to try to draw the the flopping charge, right? So he he was enough <laughs> mentally involved to not you know try to catch himself and instead try to take a fall and say, oh, whoa, I don't know. So I don't think he lost his mind or anything. That was just it was a dumb moment. Just move on from it. We don't need to fine or suspend Jokic. And I'm not I'm not one on, you know, go, going easy on a player. If a player steps out of line, then there should be repercussions. I just don't know that he stepped out of line. I think the I think Ispia did. I think if, if anybody is is fined here or, or suspended, it should be him. So I guess some sanity involved. Hopefully the. You know, the fine is just taken care of and we move on and he doesn't have any further repercussions from this. And it sounds like the league, at least for now, will not. And I hope they don't take it into account. If something else happens, like, hey, you did this other thing. No, 
This is forgotten, moved on from. Don't don't let it be a lingering issue. You should, however, let Mother's Day be a lingering issue. It should always be a day, right? It should. I will first say, I don't know what happened with the Golden Knights. That was one other part uh, of this weekend. We'll get into that. We'll find out what happened uh, with Ashley Vice coming up in just a minute. But for you, for right now, ESPN Las Vegas has a Mother's Day surprise. Tickets all week long uh, during the press box and COVID and company. A pair of tickets for you to take mom to go see Kevin Hart at Resorts World July 7th and 8th. You can get your tickets at AXS.com. But right now, caller 7, 364-1100, 364-1100. Caller 7, you'll be in the mix for those surprise ticks. This week, Kevin Hart, Resorts World, 364-1100. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Willie G. Ramirez. Or tweet the show at Cofield & Co. or at ESPN Las Vegas. Back here, Cofield Company, on this Monday, Adam Hill, Willie Ramirez, in for Steve Cofield. And we didn't know what was going to happen Saturday. Obviously, everybody went to the Golden Knights game after a Game 1 win, a lot of momentum, a lot of excitement, You know, knowing that they were going to have to go back to Edmonton, but with an extra day off between games, there's sometimes a lot of uh, you know mystery of who it's going to help, who it's going to hurt. The 4 p.m. start, also a big question for Bruce Cassidy going into the game on Saturday. I don't think anybody expected what did happen, which was... 28 penalties, a bunch of fights, and not much uh, in terms of production from the Golden Knights. It was kind of over early with Edmonton with a big one. So I want to get into a little bit of what happened and what will happen going forward with our friend Ashley Vice from the Golden Knights coverage over uh, with VGK there. Uh, getting ready for Game 3 tonight, 5.30 early puck drops. It'll be on before the end of the show, but we'll make sure we get you ready for it and uh, get you set to jump over there. And Ashley, first of all, I guess before we get into what happened, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's uh, it's a bit warmer here in Edmonton than it was in Winnipeg when we were north of the border there a few weeks ago. So I uh, can't complain. I excited that clip you played there of Evander Kane uh, before uh, before bringing me on here. I think that's kind of a storyline that gets you juiced and you love the animosity come playoff time. And I hope that's what we get tonight. So I guess I'll just say an easy question or not an easy question to answer, but an easily phrased question. What happened? In game two, you know, uh, I think what happened is the game gets away from you early, and at that point you're chasing, and there's you know you never want to be chasing a game. Uh, and, you know, we, we have seen a lot of comebacks, multi-goal comebacks in the playoffs this season, but Edmonton's not the kind of team you want to get in a track meet with. And when you do fall behind, uh, things open up and you start to get in that track meet. Um, you know, Bruce Cassidy talked this morning about how, for whatever reason, he didn't feel like uh, the team was emotionally engaged from the drop of the puck. He, he said he's seen that more often this year uh, than he would like, but you look at the responses this team has had um, after losses. Uh, Dave Gosher was crunching the numbers earlier, and back to the regular season, they hadn't lost two games of regulation since back in January. So, uh, you know, I think, it was, I think it was a combination of things. I definitely think, um, you know, they didn't look as emotionally and physically engaged early as they, as they could have and should have. Uh, I think that, you know, there are some questions uh, on if some of the penalties maybe should have been called early when they were, um, but once they found themselves in that hole, they just had a hard time digging out of it, I think. Uh, but I do expect a fresh start. That's the good thing about the playoffs is it doesn't matter how the game went down or what the score is at the end of the night. Uh, next game's a new game. We kind of saw it with Carolina and New Jersey last night. Ashley, I, I asked Jay uh, 
Jay Woodcroft before game two about that schedule change and if he felt maybe that extra day in Vegas. Not that these guys aren't professionals, they know what to do, but if it could affect him at all. And he kind of laughed and he was confident saying, we are one of the best road teams in the NHL. And I think he was ecstatic after the game and saying, now we're going to go back with our, he said it a couple of times and he really emphasized it, our impassioned fan base, our you know, home ice. And, and it's been a road-dominated NHL playoffs across the board. But what does Vegas have to do? Because last night we saw three home teams win. So, uh, you know, full circle, things coming back around for the guests. Yeah, you know, you kind of you kind of flipped the script, though, on, you know, what he said. Vegas is one of the best road teams in the NHL all season long. So, uh, you know, the wideout in Winnipeg is honestly uh, an insane atmosphere. Um, you saw that that didn't really seem to have too much of a negative impact. In fact, it kind of had the opposite impact uh, on the Golden Knights back in that series. Uh, th- they've been a good road team. They tend to simplify their game on the road. Uh, they tend to score first more often on the road, For wh- whether that's because they are simplifying it or whether it's because they've gotten the bounces. Uh, that's kind of what's up for debate. Uh, but, you know, I-, I do think the first period in general is important, not only because they're on the road, but because of what happened last game. I think they need to set the tone early that, that that's not going to carry over, um, not only you know because they don't want to give Edmonton any more confidence, but also because they don't want to get in their own heads either. So uh, you know, I think the start of the game is going to be super, super important tonight. It, it's just this is just an observation. I know that this is not necessarily uh, something that is um, an actual question to a- ask, but yeah. you know the fact that it's it, everybody wants to come to Vegas, right? Edmonton's fans were here; they were they were loud and they were into it. And I, I know Vegas fans would love to travel. But who wants to go to Edmonton and who can actually get to Edmonton? It's not easy to do. It's not super easy to do. Uh, luckily, I wasn't uh, flying with uh, some of our local media who traveled quite well. But uh, it's not super easy. Uh, you know, Vancouver is an easy place to get to. Uh, you know, Toronto is an easy place to get to, things like that. But Winnipeg, Edmonton, I think uh, a lot of people have had to had to have multiple stops, layovers, overnights, uh, red eyes, whatever it might be. So I get you there. Edmonton is a fan base that travels really well. But, you know, Vegas feeds off the energy, I feel like, whether it's at home or on the road. And uh, I think that Vegas would be happy happy to get into that debate, uh, their players on who's, you know, the best fans in the NHL. I think that they really appreciate the home base that they have there in Vegas, uh, regardless of how many people travel tonight. But I'll let you know. I'll definitely be looking around and let you know how much gold I see. I have seen some gold here in the hotel already, okay. so we'll see. Now, Ashley, from my understanding, the first road trip in the in the first series when they went to Winnipeg, if I'm not mistaken, it wasn't the Golden Knights. They showed up. There was no hot water in the hotel. Is there, Do we have any uh, – has there been any incidents oh, that we know of in Edmonton? <laughs> not that I know of yet. So, yeah, Winnipeg was a bit of a uh, – I wasn't going to say anything about it. And then Bruce Cassidy <laughs> says in his media availability, it's like, okay, I guess it's fair game now. But, no, it was the, the day of game four, um, there was no water early. Um, they had completely shut off. Um, <laughs> and we all got letters slipped under our doors and said, you know, I think it was restored. Like, by the time the guys got back from morning skate, uh, it had been restored. But you had the, you know, let your water run for a couple minutes to, to avoid discoloration and you turn the water on and brown comes out. And then it was the next morning because they stay overnight, travel the next day in the playoffs always. So the next morning we wake up and, and there was water, but there was no hot water. So who knows what was on purpose, what wasn't. Just kidding. I, I don't think there's any way it was on purpose. But definitely makes a good storyline. 
Uh, so far, uh, everyone has looked clean and showered, and I have had no water <laughs> issues. So thank you very much for checking. That's a that's an essential. You don't have to say it. I will. It was on purpose. I saw Last Dance. Then we know how they messed with Michael Jordan, and the, we we know what they're doing. It's crazy. Uh, and Canadians yeah, are the yeah. the pizza yeah. thing Canadian, all over again. Canadians are crazy about their hockey, so I wouldn't put it past them <laughs> in the hotel. Ashley Vice joins us. Uh, we it, you, you mentioned the Knights have been good on the road all year. We've also seen them respond like. Game one, yeah. game one was ugly the last series against Winnipeg. It was ugly, and they bounced right back and, and look good. We've seen them through the year. When they have a bad performance, they bounce back. So I would imagine they have to be taking some confidence in the fact that they've done this before. It's not new to them. They know how to bounce back from a performance like that. Yeah, I would think so. There's not much panic at all. And it, they have been good bouncing back game to game, but they also, they also are really good at making adjustments in-game. Uh, last game was, I think, just uh, it was a bit of an anomaly because it got so bad so fast. Um, you know, I think that Vegas is a team that, you know, they get down two goals. They uh, oftentimes can fool themselves in it. Um, that was just a little bit too deep of a hole to climb. But, yeah, everyone uh, talked to Alec Martinez for a bit yesterday. He's obviously uh, been through it all. Uh, absolutely no panic uh, from him. So uh, not only is that good to hear, but, you know, it's, it's guys like that and their attitudes that rub off on the locker room as well. Uh, so, yeah, definitely expect a response. Uh, definitely expect the series to keep getting more and more physical as it goes on. Uh, and expect adjustments that need to be made to be made tonight. That guy doesn't panic when there's a 200-mile-per-hour puck flying that's at him, and he jumps true. in front that's of true. it. So I wouldn't be concerned yeah. about him at all. That is a, that's a, that is a tough dude right there uh, for sure. Uh, Warrior, they don't call him that for nothing, that's yeah, for sure. Exactly. I know nobody on the nobody on the team can talk about this, and but we you know outside can start to discuss. Like The winner of this series is winning the Cup, right? The, the path is there. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, you, you look. I will say you look at Florida, and that's a little bit scary right now. You look at just uh, you know, a team that's getting hot at the right time and that has all that confidence and all that momentum. Uh, it's going to be hard to slow that team down just based on what they've overcome uh, from the end of the regular season to now. Um, I will say I, I definitely see this is – I view this as the toughest out, I will say that, um, of, of all the series. Like, uh, yeah, toughest out, I will say for sure. Um, I definitely think this team has the pieces. I think they have the ability, um, especially when healthy. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, we, we can, might get in trouble for calling anything too early here or anything, but I definitely uh, see where you're coming from. I can't say that I disagree with you. The uh, decision to pull Laurent uh, midway through the game, yeah. obviously, um, how has he? How have you seen him sort of, you know, be in, in terms of at the, after morning skate, just his – his yeah. mood, um, you know, coming off a loss like that. You know, he seemed like himself this morning. He's another guy. Uh, pretty cool, calm, and collected, Willie. I know you've talked to him a lot, too. He has a very, very level head. Um, and that was a situation I don't believe that he was pulled because Bruce Cassidy felt like that loss was his fault at all. Um, but it was a situation where, you know, again, the team had found itself uh, in a pretty big hole. It was 5 nothing at that point. Uh, Aiden Hill... Um, you know, hasn't played. Uh, he, he played two periods in Henderson uh, on a condition, conditioning stint about a month ago, but since then hasn't played um, in, in a couple of months now at the NHL level. So I do think it's important, you know, to have gotten him just a period under his belt uh, just because you never know whether it's injury, uh, you know, you never know what can happen. So I do think that was more of just an opportunity to get Aiden in there. Um, but, yeah, Brassois is not a guy that I worry about um, in terms of his mental strength and his mental game. Uh, he's definitely a very routine, process-driven person. Seems like his normal self, uh, at skate uh, in the locker room, 
all that jazz this morning. So I think for him, he'll just you know, keep doing the, those habitual things that uh, not only all players do, but especially goalies do um, all the time. And, you know, I expect it to be a fresh start for him. And he really likes um, coming back to Edmonton. Uh, of course, he spent the first couple seasons of his NHL career here, but he was also very successful in his junior days with the Edmonton Oil Kings here. Uh, yep. His billet family still lives here that he lived with for three years. So he gets up for these. So I think that even if there was a little bit of doubt, I think that would be, you know, canceled out by his excitement to be playing here in a playoff situation. We know the uh, the broadcast situation has changed going into the into the postseason yeah. at this level, but the content never stops. So, uh, what can we what can we find yeah. from you guys? What can we check out? Yeah, I appreciate you asking that. So today we we have this thing called the Realm Report. That's our new thing. It's uh, one o'clock uh, on game days on all of the Vegas Golden Knights digital channels. It's a combination of Millard hosting from back home and then. Dave and I are here in Edmonton. I will put Gary in when we can, but we'll have some exclusive interviews, content, uh, any game day updates, thing, things like that. Uh, that was canceled out today because we had our uh, nighttime at noon stream uh, that kind of conflicted with it. But come Wednesday, we'll have that going. Uh, and then, you know, just your, just your normal checking in with you guys on the radio while we're here. Uh, you know, we'll have some one-on-ones with players uh, that we'll put on Twitter and all that jazz as it goes on. And if you have any content ideas, always feel free to let me know. You guys always have ideas. I'd say the uh, the best recipe for success of uh, all the stuff you're doing is less Millard, more Ashley. So I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that. He's he he's the best, but I appreciate it. I'll let him know that you said that just because you know I don't make digs at him, but I'm always happy to let him know when others do. We, oh, we do also. We are also doing behind the scenes like vlog style stuff. I really enjoy doing that. We won't see it all go out until the end of the series, but. Just one more thing to plug. But uh, that will include plenty of Millard. hate to break oh, it to you. No. You know, I, I, include I, him any, I include him any chance I can. I told you that I really enjoyed the Nightlife edition with, with at Stitched um, when the yeah. guys got there, you know, and then they finished it up with some Louis Trez. But here's the thing. You know, Sarah Sivian, the, the, the national uh, hockey writer, um, I believe she's now with Bleacher Report, but she had done this. Uh, she the last couple of years, seasons, she had done this fashion. Every week, she would do fashion check in. It would be like the top five for wherever wherever she was covering. I think yeah, I yeah. think we I think we need a fashion check in from the guys walking in the arena, and and you just throw it up in a thread so we could see what they're what they're worn. You know, so I would appreciate I like something like that. I like that. That's that's a good one. I might I might have to play paparazzi and, and sneak a little bit of that. Are there guys that you like, Willie, who has the best style on the team from well, someone who really appreciates that? I would only I would only be able to relate to the guys who have been there for X amount of time, you know, because some of the newer yeah. guys I don't know because you know had sort of a little more access that first year with the Stanley Cup run and everything. I do know that Jack Eichel dresses well. I know that Carlson's got some. Some duds. I know that March of Saw has got some clean stuff, but I, I don't really know. That, so that's why I need to see it. I need to get a gauge right, as to who, enough. you know what I mean, so we can discuss this. Fair enough. We'll, right. we'll, we'll try to give the people what they want here. Perfect. And you always do. Thank you so much, Ashley Vice. <laughs> Enjoy <laughs> all the content me. out there. Appreciate it. And uh, let's see if the Golden Knights can bounce back tonight. We'll get you ready for that game coming up in just a little bit. Cofield and Company rolls on on Monday. Cofield and Company will be right back. Keep it here on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM. I was wondering, you know, how that got flagged. I thought there'd have to be something else for for everybody to get caught. And not necessarily the rumor, but what's being reported now is surveillance cameras have picked up that a person that placed the bets 
was on his phone in direct contact with the Alabama head baseball coach. So you want to talk about amateur hour on how to get caught with doing some illegal betting. There you go, Exhibit A. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. His Cofield and Company, Adam Hill, Willie Ramirez here with you. Yeah, Brad Powers makes some excellent points about what happened in the Alabama case. Sounds like legitimately the surveillance cameras zoomed in. A, there's not much betting in college sports, or excuse me, college baseball. Just doesn't happen that much. It's available. Some of the new books, they'll put it up. I trust me, I was down in Arizona yesterday messing around with the apps. I almost think there's too much available now uh, in terms of what you can bet on. It's wild. Like every inning, we were betting whether the first pitch of the inning was going to be a strike or a ball. That's crazy. Did that you, you can make do that any money? Now. A little bit, a little bit. Not enough to pay for the trip, but you know, did, did well. Um, so there's like a, there's so much available now, and so many different offerings. But really, nobody makes significant straight bets in particular on random college baseball games. It just doesn't happen. So when this came out, it was like, okay, well, this is weird. What happened here? And it does sound like potentially the person making the bet was on the phone with the Alabama coach when they were making the bet, and surveillance cameras zoomed in to look. At the information on his cell phone. Like, when you call somebody, it says who you're talking to. Right. If they're in your contact book. Right. They just zoomed in, saw that's who he was talking to, and like, oh, well, this is an easy case. Like, don't be dumb. If you're going to – first of all, don't try to make bets you're not supposed to and all that. But don't be that dumb when you're doing it. And it sounds like he was. And, you know, I wrote a column for Sunday's paper just about all the different things that have to be kind of analyzed here. Um, some of the different rules that are out there. Some of the different uh, – you know, characterizations of things. The NHL policy is don't bet on NHL games. That's literally what it says. That's it, which is probably pretty good. And by the way, before you go on to to explain, anybody out there that's ever ridiculed or questioned or wondered, like when when we saw, uh, what was it, uh, Ridley? Yeah, Calvin Uh, Ridley. Calvin Ridley. Do yourself a favor and read Adam's call. It was it was really well done. We were talking about it at the game the other night when we were uh, leaving, and you had told me about it, and I was like, and I I was, I couldn't wait to read it because um, it was already up online. But do yourselves a favor, just to I mean, and it's not like it's a long drawn out investigative thing, but it's very sort of informational, so you kind of have an idea before you go and ridicule some of the athletes or when things like this arise. Because it's it's all right there, and Adam breaks it down for you for every league in what the rules are. And like you said, NHL, it is clear-cut what the rules are. But the rest of it is where you were kind of a little dumbfounded going, huh? Well, the NFL in particular. So, like these things, again, we're relating these things even though they're not related. But they're related in that they're the expansion of sports betting has changed so much. That's, that's how it's related. And obviously, if you're a player, if you're a coach, if you're – don't bet on the games that you're involved in. That's easy. That's an easy, easy thing. But the, if you read the NFL rule, one of the one of the rules in the NFL CBA is that you cannot, if you're a player, first of all, team staffers can't do anything. Like, right. can't be in a casino, can't be in a they're, they're just banned from anything. Right. But for NFL players, one of the things it says is that you cannot enter a sports book during the NFL season. Okay, fine. But I went to Nashville. Uh, during the season, all the restaurants along Broadway, which is where everybody hangs out for the most part in Nashville when you're a tourist there, they all have sports books in them. So is that a sports book or is it a restaurant that has a sports book in it? Is that excluded? I don't know. And I don't right. think players know. Um, I've talked to an NFL player who 
wanted to go to the pool at Circa. Stadium Swim, obviously everybody knows how amazing it is. And could not get clarification from anyone if they were allowed to. Because part of Stadium Swim in the corner, there's a, a window where you can place bets. So they're like, am I allowed to go to the pool or not? Right. The answer, I don't know. That's the issue with some of the ways the rules are written. And we have to figure these things out as we go along because the cut and dry stuff, don't bet on the games, easy. But some of this other stuff is a little bit more difficult. And I, I will also tell you, I read the CBAs for all the pro sports uh, as part of this column. And the NFL one is is silly. It's downright silly. It says, if you're a player, you cannot have a business, personal, or social relationship with a sports better. Quote, unquote, just sports gambler. Sports gambler. Sports gambler. Do you know anyone that doesn't bet on sports? If you, Because that means that if you – like, so so I'm not as affluent as I used to be, where I used to bet a lot daily. I bet the Super Bowl and maybe a handful of other t- times throughout the year. That makes – but I'm a sports gambler then. Because because if I'm if I yeah. if I bet once a year, I just I just you're a sports gambler. I don't think Ari bets on games. Ari, you're he, good to hang out with NFL. He probably players. has at some point. So if you're an NFL player, you can hang out with Ari. That's your list. <laughs> that's it. That's pretty that, much that's it. the that's, that's the it. amount of people you can hang out with. That's it. Because yeah. I would also say I'm sure what it means is somebody who makes their living betting on sports. I assume is what that means. That's not what it says. Right, and and they could they could really change they could really make it a difference. By adding one word, professional. Yes, because you and I both know that in this town there are guys or women. There are groups who actually claim their taxes. They've they've Billy Walter started this years ago, where he actually created a sports corporation called Sports Bets LLC when messenger betting wasn't allowed. And what it did was it allowed his quote unquote runners to go into books because they became partners. They signed tax forms that made them one percent shareholders of the corporation. So that meant that one percent of the bankroll they were holding was part of their money. So when you're claiming it on your tax forms as a sports better, that means you can claim losses. Now I don't know if the rules have changed with that with the gut with the IRS, but you could claim you could claim only as much as you lost. You can't just claim Everything you claim as much, so so it, basically you're washing those out. That said, if if you if you have that down as a then you're a professional sports gambler, they could change they, that that could define a lot. Yeah, there's more to this, and uh, there actually was some developments today and another sports betting potential scandal that we have to get into. I uh, have to try to get some details on that because it's just breaking right now. But uh, a lot to get into as we continue to expand sports betting. I'll even share some more of what it's like being in a market that is ultra competitive right now down in uh, in Arizona uh, over the weekend and some of uh, what they are doing down there. But we want to get into the surprising Seattle Kraken. Tim Booth will let us know what is going on with this team that is trying to make the kind of run similar to what the Golden Knights made in their first season, Seattle in their second season, making a deep run in the postseason. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Adam Hill LVRJ or tweet the show at Cofield and Co or at ESPN Las Vegas. It is Adam Hill, Willie Ramirez here with you. Talked a little bit about one series in the West with a lot of local interest with the Golden Knights and the Oilers. We'll get into plenty of that more as we continue through the program and get ready for puck drop around 530. Although with a one game on the schedule, I'm going to guess 542. 542 puck drop for the 530 game? Sounds about right. It's about right. We do, you know, we should start maybe putting lines on that. Five, maybe, you know, like so 542 point. 
542 and a half over yeah, under. Over under. Okay. I'll take the over, I guess, tonight. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, but the other series in the West, not the one a whole lot of people expected, uh, but we are seeing Seat- the Seattle Kraken making quite a run through the postseason so far. We want to talk about what they are doing and how they are doing it. Tim Booth uh, from the AP up in Seattle joins us. How are you doing, sir? Good. How are you guys doing today? We are good. Um, what is going on? First of all, in the entire playoffs, but <laughs> the Seattle Kraken, obviously a pretty big upset in the first round, and now they are looking good once again. Did you see this coming? No, not at all. <laughs> I mean, anyone, anyone who said they saw them knocking off Colorado is probably a liar at this point. Um, but they, they managed to do it. They, they used their depth in order to, to find a way to mitigate the – the star power that Colorado had and sort of outlasted them in the, in the seven game series. And then they've played, um, they've played really well for basically, you know, six periods of, of this series against the stars so far. So I don't think anyone in their right mind has Seattle with a two, one lead in the, in the Western conference semifinals. But at this point with kind of how the whole season was, um, anything seems possible really for, for this team right now. All right, Tim. So here's the deal. Tomorrow, we will have on Danny Webster, local reporter. For I believe we're bringing him on. If not tomorrow, maybe this week. But anyway, from the Las Vegas Sun, he covers the Golden Knights. He and I sit next to each other Golden Knights games. He can confirm that I have been touting the Kraken in the first round and that they could pull this off. Now, I didn't, I didn't pick either team, but I did say Colorado's got its hands full. I would not be surprised if the Kraken knocked them off. And my reasoning was that motivation with Philip Grubauer, the same way we saw the motivation with Marc-Andre Fleury when the Golden Knights were a uh, an expansion team, only this year in getting in the playoffs, getting to play his former team, sort of left out to dry. How much motivation is this guy playing with? Oh, he's playing with he, – in the first round especially, he played with a ton. You could tell that going out there and playing well against Colorado really meant something to him. But – in general, beyond the fact that it was the Avs that he was that Seattle was playing in the first round, you can tell he's playing with a little bit of a of a chip or a little bit extra um, in in how he's playing in net right now because there's been a lot of criticism that's come with how he has played in the regular season through the first two seasons of the of the franchise. You know, you go out and you're the you're the first big signing right. in free agency that Seattle made the first. You know, the first time that they were committing years and dollars behind a big name guy that kind of everybody knew, and then he was—he didn't play well last year. His defense around him didn't play well last year. The team was an afterthought basically once November hit um, in its inaugural season, partly because of how poor the defense and the goaltending was. And even this year, early on, it was kind of middling. Like you didn't quite see the, the version of Philip Grubauer that you thought you were getting when you made a six-year, $35 million investment. But as the season went on and as he overcame a couple of early injuries and got a little bit more comfortable with his defensive pairings that were around him, he got better as the year got, went on. And then right now he's, he's playing exceptional. He might be the best, the best goalie in the playoffs right now in terms of how consistent he has been um, through not only the first round, but the first three games of the Dallas series. Yes, he gave up four goals um, in game one against, to, to the Stars, but you look at those goals that Joe Pavelski scored, and you're just like, 
yeah, nobody's going to stop those those right. goals that he had in that game. Right. But for the most part, he's been really solid, and he's made some really big saves at, at key moments. You look at last night, and it was a seven-two game. He stopped two breakaways in the in the second period yep. when it was still a two-nothing game. So he came up with he's coming up with the big saves at the moments that they need them. And he's really playing with a lot of confidence right now. Speaking with Tim Booth from the Associated Press, covering this incredible run by the Seattle Kraken. You mentioned the depth. Yanni Gord uh, brings championship experience from the Cup seasons in Tampa, but the depth, as you said, has been impressive. And it just seems contagious when this team gets going. Oh, absolutely. And it's it's they're one of the few teams left that can truly roll four lines um, because that's just the way that they have played all year long. They had. 13 guys score at least 13 goals this season. They've had 16 different players score a goal through the first 10 games of the playoffs. They have to rely on their depth. They're, they don't have a Connor McDavid. They don't have a Leon Dreisaitl. They don't have uh, a Joe Pavelski or a Jason Robertson that's going to go out there and get you um, a goal when you truly need it. They have to rely on those guys like Yanni Gord or Jaden Schwartz, another guy who's got a ton of cup experience. Or random guys like Carson Soucy and, and Justin Schultz who are, who are adding goals from the blue line. That's sort of the blueprint of, of how they were put together in the first place, but then how they've had the success this season. That just, in the regular season, it was that depth that really keyed their success, and it's really carried over in the playoffs. And that was one of the big questions as they went into the playoffs is, if you get into a game where you need a goal, you know, you don't you don't have that star. So who's going to be the guy that's going to go get you that goal? They haven't needed it because they're getting contributions from their fourth line. They're getting contributions from their third defensive pairing that are adding some of that stuff that you that you just will need if you don't have that superstar score available to you on the offensive end. So the Mariners aren't great. They're okay. Uh, football season is still a ways off. Are the Kraken really being embraced? Is this the team of the city of Seattle right now? Yes, and it was the exact thing that the franchise needed. Um, not to say that they weren't embraced prior to what's happened over the last three weeks, but you could tell that the Kraken hadn't sort of infiltrated into the casual sports fan. You had, you know, you had your you had your diehard hockey fans, and you have your your people who are who were interested in what they were as a novelty. And that was kind of the focus of what it was for the first, say, year and a half of the franchise existing. The first year, hey, it's, it's this new thing. Everyone's going to go out to it. The first half of this year, okay, they're playing better, but it's still kind of this novelty sort of thing, the new thing in town that we're going to go experience. What you saw sort of at the midpoint of this season was people actually started to care about what the hockey was on the, on the ice. What, what's, your, what's your first power play unit? What's your third defensive pairing? Who's going to be the backup goalie for the playoffs? All those things started to kind of matter a little bit more to the, to the casual fan. And then you couple that with a playoff run that included a lot of dramatic, a lot of dramatic games, obviously some winning. It, it, it really has sort of um, kind of, to use a cracking term, kind of spread its tentacles into the entire market. Um, and, and sort of taking over. You, you drive around town and people are out wearing Kraken gear right now. And yes, it was, it was their hit and miss in the first year, first year and a half, but now everyone's got it on. Um, they, they've really taken this opportunity to capture kind of a, a dry spell in the sports calendar here because, as you said, the Mariners are, Mariners are going, but it's still May and they're a 500 team right now. 
we just had the NFL draft, but you know, football is still several months off. They've kind of captured this opportunity that they've had, and they've made people care about the hockey. And in doing though, in doing that, they've really expanded what that core group of what their of their fan base currently is. Tim, great stuff. Follow him on Twitter at by Tim Booth. I think I don't know who's real and who's not on Twitter anymore, but I think it's at by Tim Booth <laughs> up on Twitter. We thank you, sir, and uh, enjoy the rest of the series. Thanks, guys. Have a good day.